Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Small Biz Gone Viral. I'm your host, Grant LeBeau, owner of a small business that makes coconut energy bars called Rickaroons. I'm also a guy who knows exactly how much it sucks to think 2020 is going to be the best year yet, only to have those dreams ripped away by a worldwide pandemic. Anyway, rather than wallowing in sorrow alone, I created this show as a shoulder for my fellow small business owners to cry on, to let them know they're not alone, and so that we can all get through this together. Today's sarcastically fun fact, five months in and the COVID situation in Florida is now officially worse than it ever was in New York City, the American epicenter of COVID. Maybe, and just maybe, firing your lead statistician because you don't like the stats isn't an actual solution. It's like you don't fire the weatherman because it's raining. Actual fun fact, today's guest introduced me to a group of amazing female entrepreneurs who will be dominating the guest list in upcoming episodes. Here are your facts and figures for July 14th, 2020. Worldwide cases are about to crack 13.5 million, with about 5 million of those currently active. What's amazing is that with only 4% of the world's population, the US has 35% of the world's active cases and 23% of the world's total COVID-related fatalities. Put differently, that's almost 9 times as many cases and 6 times as many deaths as we should have based on population alone. It might be slightly more understandable if we hadn't had three months watching the virus progress in other countries like Italy and China. It's like we saw the tornado coming and decided to take selfies instead of taking shelter. On to economic stats. The record-setting streak continues. Last week, 1.4 million Americans filed initial unemployment claims. That's double the pre-COVID record. And that's happened every week for the last four months. Let me say that again. Prior to COVID, every single week for the last four months would have more than doubled the old record for most initial unemployment filings in a week. But don't worry, the Dow Jones is cruising in the 26,000s, down somehow only 6% on the year. 30 million people on, un on unemployment but don't worry, because your portfolio will be fine. What a soothing thought, I'm sure, for all those unemployed watching their pandemic assistance about to run out at the end of the month due to congressional inaction. Ugh. Let's just move on to the interview. My guest today is Katie Webb. She created Ayla, a plant-based pre-workout supplement brand for women that was just starting to take off at high-end gyms, think Equinox and SparkCycle, when COVID hit and conveniently closed all those gym doors. She'll share with us her strategy of specifically targeting regions that, for whatever reasons, still have doors open, focusing on direct-to-consumer, and other adjustments she's made in what almost certainly has been the single worst business climate to launch a CPG brand in. Let's get to it. Katie, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. 
So I'm really excited to have you here because you are our earliest stage entrepreneur and you were actually in the middle of launching a brand when COVID hit. So to start out, why don't you tell us about the path that took you to starting, going to going out on your own and starting a company? Sure. So uh, my name is Katie. I'm 29. I normally live in New York, um, kind of like displaced right now with quarantine, um, actually outside Philadelphia. But um, I founded a company. Uh, my company is called Ayla. It's a um, fitness nutrition brand for women. We have one product we're focused on right now, which is basically a plant-based pre-workout for women um, based in matcha, superfoods and vitamins, and is kind of a complete re-engineering of what that product has traditionally been on the market. Um, my background is in brand partnerships and sales, actually. So mostly advertising sales for media companies. Um, I've done, I did that for about 10 years up until this February where I quit that uh, path and jumped into Ayla full-time, conveniently right before this global pandemic decided to hit. <laughs> that is um, incredible timing. Yeah. So when you say yeah. February, we, we, we kind of, we, we on this show refer as March 1st being the, because the, that, that was when the first U.S. COVID related death was. So you started yes. in February. Yeah. So I've had the company actually for like a year and a half as on the side um, and was kind of working on it, kind of still in my full-time job. It was, it was really hard to give it my full attention. And um, for about probably since July of last year, was ramping up to leave my job and planning and budgeting and doing as much as I could to prepare myself for that moment. And then um, did it in February. Uh, and then yeah, March, <laughs> March happened. So you said you had worked, you, you had worked with uh, brand partnerships before, but because of your experience working with bigger customers, I'm, I'm interested to hear how that's impacted uh, your first uh, kind of stage one of your company and, and who you've sought out as, as customers and partners. Sure. So um, I've worked for the majority have been media companies in sports and lifestyle. So um, big companies from, um, like CBS sports. Um, I worked out at the beginning of my career. Um, most recently I worked at Hypebeast, which is a, um, global, uh, fashion footwear media company. Um, I also worked at Barstool Sports, which has become pretty big, but at the time was still fairly small. I was one of their first sales people there, um, to bring on brands to work with them. Um, so I think probably my experience there would be the most similar to kind of what I'm navigating now in terms of finding um, not only brand partnerships, but like for me, it's now wholesale partnerships and distribution. Um, and uh, at the time, Barstool, if you're familiar with Barstool, um, it was uh, a challenge <laughs> getting brands to partner. Um, as a sales rep there and being kind of this, um, small sort of challenger brand, um, that people weren't sure about, um, and going out and, and, you know, telling the story of why it was a valuable, um, partnership and, you know, why brands should really hop on board. I, I would say is kind of most similar to what I'm navigating now. Um, but even more so, um, when it's your, it's, it's interesting going from sales to 
um, sales of other things that like you can be really passionate about. Like I, I loved Barstool. I, I really enjoyed selling it and talking about it, but it still wasn't mine. So now that I'm going out and talking about my own thing, it's very like, it's scarier because it's, it's your, I can have taking a no from someone else's property versus my own is, is a whole different ball game. So, um, absolutely. But, yeah. <laughs> so, um, I think I take a lot of cues from that. Um, sales is pretty just, it's time, it's persistence. Um, it's understanding that you're going to get no's pretty often and you just kind of keep rolling with it. So I think that, um, that part of me is, I've never been bothered by that. It's just kind of like the, the train, you just keep going <laughs> and yeah. you keep reaching out and you keep looking, um, you keep, you know, lifting up new opportunities. So I think that's been really helpful on that part. That's such good preparation for having a business for having that. That's going to be, uh, built around sales. Like you're, you're going to hear no all the time. Have you had a hard time at all dissociating uh, yourself from your brand or have you noticed that those no's they're a little more painful because it is like it's your baby yeah that's a good question I think I think I do they I think I do an okay job of dissociating in a way um I don't know that I could say that if I didn't have a background in sales but yeah it, it is kind of just like the harder, the harder sell I think is like maybe like an investor sell, like when you're going and pitching for someone's belief in you or like that kind of like more intangible thing. Yeah. That is harder for me selling product and trying to get product in places. If it's a no, like great, or we'll just keep it moving. Like we'll, we'll find, you know, we get to know faster and then find other partners that are, are better suited. Um, so I think it kind of depends on like this, the, you're always selling, right? There's like so many different avenues and some, some no's hurt more than others. <laughs> yeah. And I, there are definitely days I know for me where I, I go home and like, I, I, especially if it's something that I think is such a good fit and, and I get a no, those are the ones that are really hard and I just want to go home and just like curl up under a blanket and take just like a, a Rip Van Winkle nap and just like <laughs> escape from it all. Cause I'm like, Oh, I, I have been rejected. Right. Like I, I Grant LeBeau have been rejected. Not hey, someone didn't think my energy bar was a good fit, but like they've rejected the, the core of me and that can be really difficult to, to navigate. I think that I, sure. I, I can see now just how valuable it would be having a history of, of, of essentially of, of rejection. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, this is nothing new to me. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yep. So you had gone all in, in February and then of course COVID happens before we get to COVID, let's go ahead and, and wrap up exactly where you were as a company in terms of headcount, in terms of uh, brand reach, just kind of some some quantifiables, um, you know, some some measurements of where you were at the end of February when you were when you were believing now more than ever that it was the best time to go out on your own and, and make the make make some magic happen. 
Sure. Yeah. So um, I, we are a team of two pretty much. It's just myself um, and I have uh, um, someone that works for me on organic and paid marketing. Um, she's not full-time, but that's kind of been the team um, so far this year. I In February, we were we had five wholesale partnerships in gyms, um, mostly. So four of them were smaller boutique gyms in New York. One was national um, with a spa slash health center in 15 of their locations. Um, so we were straddling like the D to C wholesale um, approach in, in February. Um, before all of this happened, still fairly new, but seeing a good amount of traction just organically through D to C, obviously the wholesale partnerships. Um, and my plan was to, before, actually before I quit, I'd kind of started doing this, but I was approaching angel investors for a pre-seed, like a small pre-seed round um, and getting out there. I had just done a small female founder incubator in the fall, um, which had kind of allowed me to you know, tone my pitch and kind of gear up for those conversations, got me some good intros to investors. Um, but the angel market was say definitely more than even if I had, it's interesting to think about if I had tried to go out and raise venture capital, if it had been different, but that wasn't what I wanted to do. And yet when you look at the investment world amidst a pandemic, you've got institutional money versus people's personal money. Um, one of which kind of like has to be deployed and one that, that doesn't um, as much and can kind of, you know, I was in that bucket where it became a lot harder um, to kind of move those conversations forward and ultimately ended up pivoting away from that. Yeah, because obviously in a, in a world that seems less and less certain by the day, that's going to lend itself to a much more conservative investing uh, climate. And so I'm sure it's going to be much, much more difficult uh, to raise those early stages in particular. Totally. Yeah. I, I was interested to hear about what the what the revenue split was in terms of D to C versus B to B or, or you know, basically consumer website sales versus uh, selling to your your wholesale partners. Uh, do you know what happened to know what that was in February? It was probably 60, 40, pretty close. Um, 60, 40, 60 what, being the, the wholesale record, being wholesale. Okay. Yeah. Because I assume that that got pretty much eliminated or, or very close to it. Uh, yes. come, come March, <laughs> April. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. She said with a, a, a dreading smile. Yes. <laughs> Okay. Yes, so that went away. Yeah. Before we move on to the the real meat and potatoes of the show, it, it is time for our guests unsponsor of the show, aka the time when you tell us about a small business run by awesome people that produce an awesome product that you think deserves the support, love and affection of our tens of listeners. So 
Who do you have for us today? I would like to shout out a company called Software. It's S-O-F-T-W-E-A-R. So they're a sustainably made basics line out of Brooklyn, New York. Um, Basics meaning t-shirts, tank tops, joggers, shorts um, in a few colors. And that's that's all they do, but they do it really well. Um, They are an e-commerce brand, so you can order um, from wherever. Uh, everything's under $100. It's like the softest material of all time. Um, uh, a girl, uh, a friend of mine, Sabrina, started the company. She's a one-woman show and does everything herself, which I always really admire <laughs> and can kind of uh, uh, align with. Um, just this past couple months, I don't know if you've seen the the, the quarantine trend of tie-dye loungewear that everyone's kind of into right now. She started just hand tie-dyeing all of her pieces um, and doing it for free for customers. So like really kind of rolling with the punches of what was coming at her um, for COVID and kind of spinning a positive at it. So I wanted to give uh, that company a shout out. <laughs> shout out to Sabrina and software, uh, yeah. software ending in W-E-A-R. Mm-hmm. Very, very punny and <laughs> sounds like I, I'll probably be making an investment for my for my wife here in a hot second. Yeah, it's good stuff. Good stuff. Okay, let's move into the mid-COVID segment. So March 1st comes around. You were still at that point trying to, to raise an angel round? I think at that point I'd kind of... Um settled and and moved away from it i still was talking to a few potential partners and even they were kind of like i'm not not interested but like maybe you know let's table for a little so i think that's around the time i was kind of like okay this isn't gonna be something i do right now (laughs) as you were as you were looking to raise was there something in particular that you were looking to put the the bulk of those funds towards or was it kind of just you wanted a little bit longer of a of a runway personally yeah, so I um, to, hadn't really had a marketing budget for the company ever. <laughs> um, yep. As having started it as a side project, I was like, oh, I'll just invest in the product and it'll sell itself and everything will be fine. And of course, it's not how things work. Right, I should right. have known. Oh my gosh. Should have known better. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, is, that is like, that is just like so quickly. That is like, I feel like the the biggest kind of misconception or like naivete of people who are kind of, who haven't had their own business is like, oh, well, the best quality products are going to, are the ones who are, that are going to rise to the, to the top, right? Like the, you know, the, the cream rises to the top. I feel like that's what you learn in school is that in this perfect world of perfect markets and a perfect economy that, that the best rises to the top. And it's like, no, mm-hmm. marketing is what rises to the top. Yes. And how do you ever get found, right? And, right. and you know, why would anyone ever say no to me? I have the best product out there. So, and then, and then yeah, getting that, the, the questions from, from like friends or family or whatever is like, well, or not even friends and family, but people who are reaching out to you asking, hey, wh- what's your marketing budget? And you're like, oh, what's your CAC? Mar- I don't yeah. know. <laughs> Marketing budget. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So had just 
and that it's so funny that you like see that because I was so and I still am I, I'm like no one's really making a product like this this is a complete from marketing to positioning to, to formula complete departure from everything that's been out there I know that there's a market like you know so didn't really invest in the product didn't um didn't have a marketing budget and then um we also had this is another like tidbit. We had a trademark issue with our name. So our, a lot of our inventory reflects the old branding. So a lot of, a couple of things like marketing, needing to re up and make it more of a retail ready product for bigger partnerships, things like that. Um, was looking to raise for. Can you, can you give us the, the real quick synopsis of what happened with the, the copyright or, or trademark uh, issues? Sure. Yeah. So, um, Again, young entrepreneur not knowing what I'm doing. Uh, our company was originally called Bia. Um, and where I thought I had done my homework on the trademark and and seeing who, um, actually you're in the energy bar business. I think that yep. when I originally looked it up, it was Bia, there was a Bia bars, and that, but no one had anything on supplements. So I kind of took that as, okay, I can table that for a little bit, but like maybe not too long and too long happened. Um, and after we produced the inventory, um, I was having a call with our lawyer about something and he was like, have you done the trademark yet? And I was like, no. (laughs) And he looked it up and sure enough, someone had kind of like checked that box for that name. So it was right around the time I was, um, I, we had originally built the Shopify site ourselves, but it was right around the time I had someone, um, I brought someone on to help kind of up level it a little bit. So we ended up changing our name and doing this kind of rebrand right all at the same time. How um, much inventory did you have when you had to make that, that move? <sighs> Lots. <laughs> yeah. Still have it. <laughs> it's tough. Yeah. Um, we've been able to get kind of creative with it from the direct to consumer side of things. There are little packets. So, um, I've kind of made like, um, little like sticker covers. It sounds Uh, weird. I was wondering if you went the sticker route. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah. I did the stickers and like, um, being, you know, a young company, like when I get a direct order from our site, we have like cute cards written up that kind of like make a joke about it mm-hmm. and just call it out. Cause it is a supplement. You don't want someone to get that and be like, why is there a sticker on it? Um, right. so we right. call it out right away and like, you know, leave anything open for questions and it's been fine from, you know, direct, but I know that I can't get into whole foods with that. So, um, that's kind of, yeah, that's <laughs> story. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I can, I can kind of, uh, just based off of my, my own knowledge of like, uh, production costs and, and, you know, experience in a pseudo similar industry, I can imagine that a, you probably have a really long shelf life, right? Yeah. Decent. Okay. Yeah. And, and then B production costs are often not tied to, uh, or are uh, not, not tied to are often t- Production costs are often tied to the the total quantity being produced, and it's usually there's a tiered pricing. So I would imagine that as you're getting started, especially especially when you're getting started, and every last dollar that you have is so valuable, and you need to make it, you know, you need to maximize what you can get for that. You don't want to be producing every two weeks. 
So my guess, and, and tell me if I'm right here, is that you probably did a pretty decently large production run in the beginning because that's how you drive your unit cost down and allow yourself some room for margin. So, yeah. Correct. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. yes. And, and I would so also say um, the the packaging in which we decided we want, you know, so when you look at like supplements, fitness supplements or whatever, most often they come in those kind of like tubs or the, the bigger 30 serving pouches or mm -hmm. the, the bulk serving stuff, yeah. which is much more economical to produce. You can do a much lower order. Um, I was hell bent on single serving gym bag convenience, little packets. Like I just, I still feel that way. I want to lead with that. Um, ultimately with a more sustainable approach when we can get there. But, um, I was really focused on, no, I want this to be a convenience factor. I don't think that women are throwing big tubs of pre-workout in their gym bags and going to soul cycle. Like I, you know, but what came with that was the requirement for the way that they fill those packets and manufacturing it, it requires a larger order. So there was that part too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that, that totally makes sense. And I, I, I like the way that, that you're doing so many things to establish yourself differently and, and differentiate from those, the, the, the bigger companies out there, uh, kind of the, the entrenched players. So you're going, you're focusing on the, I, I, I feel like we should, we should go back a little bit. You're focusing sure. on the single serving direct to targeted towards, towards, uh, the, the female audience who is very much exactly what you just said, going to soul cycle flywheel. Is that, is that kind of the, the target demographic right there? Like the, the on the go going straight from the, the high power, high stress job in New York city to somewhat to, you know, flywheel or, or somewhere that's going to be a kind of a, uh, a higher end final workplace in before going home for the for the night. Yeah, I think it's um it's yeah, the overcommitted woman that's running around all day <laughs> trying to make a half hour or an hour for herself for fitness. Um I yeah, I I saw this product being in her car, in her kitchen, on the table at Barry's boot camp. Um and in my mind it was small and convenient, you know, in her gym bag, it was small and convenient, um, didn't need to be refrigerated. Um that kind of thing. So yeah, that's kind of the audience we're after. Overcommitted. Yes. <laughs> Overcommitted. I love using that word. <laughs> yeah. And it is, so is, would you say that your target audience was a reflection of your own lifestyle? Yeah, I would say that. Um, I, yeah, that's kind of where the idea came from. Um, I've always, uh, you know, I've always, I've, been pretty active my whole life. I'm definitely someone that, you know, I work out maybe four to five times a week. It's like the best part of my day. I've always really enjoyed it. Pre-COVID, I was going, you know, six or 7 a.m. before work, um, which is why, which is what kind of like put me on this search for, okay, I'm not making a pot of coffee in the morning. It's far too expensive to stop at Starbucks every time I'm on my way to the gym at that, that hour. What's something, um, you know, which kind of fell into this pre-workout category. What's a pre-workout I can take that won't make me, my heart beat out of my chest or give me these weird tingly feelings and 
the majority of what I found when I looked was just that. Um, it's, it's kind of been this like under innovated category. Um, it's still mainly marketed to, to, to bulking up mostly to men, um, which I think is just the, the brands haven't caught up yet that there's, there's a huge opportunity for, for performance nutrition with women. It's just, I think it takes a different form and I think it's a different, um, in marketing and ingredients, all of those things. So, um, short, that was a long answer to your question, but yes, it was a reflection of like, I need something quick, but healthy that I can, I can take, you know, daily and not feel, you know, on most pre-workout labels too, it says on the back in small print, like don't take this consistently for more than X amount of time. A lot of people don't read that. So right. what's something that I can take, you know, take every day and not feel like I feel bad about it or that it's going to hurt me. <laughs> yeah. I'm, it's funny. I, I can just imagine those warning labels being put in like the least convenient, most hidden place possible, <laughs> because obviously how, how do you make money if you're telling people not to take your product often? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, just not that I spend a lot of time in that, in that aisle. Uh, at a grocery store. Well, not that I spend any time in grocery stores right now, but it does seem like that industry was was primed for someone like you to move in because, yeah, it's targeted towards like all all of the graphics are I feel like are stuck in like the the early '90s when like you know the the Arnold Schwarzenegger like bodybuilder type and and obviously that is not what is uh, for everyone to say the least. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, well, one of one of my favorite things as like a I don't know someone who's I guess passionate about the world of entrepreneurship is hearing someone who is approaching things in a way that just like totally makes sense, and I don't know it's just like it just like makes me light up hearing oh like everything that you're doing is is, is logical and is like something that maybe people don't really think about you know, and obviously it's not common because otherwise this would have been done already, but just hearing about how you have approached the industry in general, and then the way that you're going about the the marketing, obviously that like your background is in, is in marketing. So it makes, or sales and marketing. So it makes sense. But I guess what I'm just saying is I, I love where you're going with, uh, with Ayla and how you're approaching it and it just all makes sense so not that that means anything you know my not that my opinion means anything but i i, no, I, I love it i love it thank you thanks i i think the same thing too it's always and when i talk to more people and i mean especially for me like when i was first starting out talking to other women and being like don't you feel like everything that's out there is for like but like body um, bodybuilders and I, so many women were like, oh yeah, I take my husband's, but I hate it. Like, I don't, I don't really like it, but I don't have anything else. And I was like, huh. Okay. So this isn't just like women have coffee. They don't need anything else. Like there is a desire for something like this, yeah. but they've been turned off. Um, yeah. The stigma has like ruined it. <laughs> and, and even just as you were saying the thing about, you know, you, you don't necessarily want to start at Starbucks or make a hot pot of, of coffee in the morning. I'm totally right there with you. I I have one workout that I do about once a week with some friends where we we go and run hills and it's like hill sprints and it's the hardest workout that I do of the week and I can't have coffee the day of or else my calf cramps. And so again, as you were going over that, I'm like, genius, of course people need something else. 
and and not everyone wants to do the coffee thing and because there, there's a need for it so i i, I we, we have to move on i can't just continue to compliment you yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> okay fine <laughs> Um, okay, so let's go ahead and move, you know, into or, or back to kind of the, the quantitative uh, measurements of how the first few months of, of COVID hit you. You said you were at 60-40 split with 60% of your sales being in, uh, uh, in being wholesale. March, April, that's gone, right? Yes. 100%? Or very, very close to it, I would imagine. It, pretty much the exact, um, the dip has been pretty in line with what we were getting from wholesale. Um, so the D to C side is still, it's interesting. And maybe it's just because we're early that there, there may not be a rhyme or reason for it. My, I knew why the wholesale was going away because the gym's closed, obviously. Yeah, they're literally I, closed. I think, yeah. Yeah, they're literally closed. Um, although, well, we'll get to that. Excitingly enough, some of the markets we're in with that larger wholesale are gyms are open in. So that looks promising. Um, but on the D to C side, I wasn't sure what was going to happen because um, it's not to say that this product doesn't, uh, isn't applicable to a home workout, but people are not in the rush that they were. Um, I've always used it in the morning. It's always, it, it can certainly be used for an afternoon workout. It's, it's between 80 to 90 milligrams of caffeine. So it's, it's around, almost less than a cup of coffee. It's not going to keep you up all night. Um, but I, it, it's kind of been positioned for like an early morning rush or um, something like that. And when people have more time, you know, are they just going to kind of leisurely wake up on their own, um, get into their workout in their living room whenever they do? Like, I wasn't really sure. Um, so, but yeah, as you said, the that's 60% basically went away. Um, and the D to C side kind of like teetered a little bit. but honestly stayed somewhat consistent yeah i feel like in, in general the the uh d to c or the the, the direct consumer side of things for us has all has been positive the entire time we saw one really big spike uh and then now things have kind of come back and i feel like the 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 internet sales in general people are home and and able to spend more time shopping but also the longer this thing goes on the uh less certainty there is in the world and with that comes uh you know more conservative trending of of of, of purchases right people are going to kind of go with uh with what they know and it's it's hard to get out there and put yourself in front of of customers um have you what how have you been trying to solve that problem to to continue to get in front of new customers? Because you have this amazing product and truly the the biggest uh, you know question is like how do you how do you find your your perfect demographic, right? You know who they are. How do you get mm -hmm. your product in front of them? Yeah. So I think from the direct to consumer side, we'd never really run Facebook or Instagram ads. I'm kind of just starting to do a little bit of that, but with caution, <laughs> yeah. um, cause it is a little bit of a black box as I'm sure, you know, mm -hmm. um, so that and, and focusing on honestly like organic content, um, and, and finding 
creating content and finding communities that way and getting the product out there on the wholesale side, I've started to kind of focus more. Um, I do have a couple of conversations that are coming up, but not for until like slotting for next year. Yeah. But, um, on the gym side, e- even if it's like a smaller boutique studio looking in markets that are open, um, Atlanta, Florida, Dallas, um, uh, look kind of looking there, um, for, uh, wholesale partners and opportunities for the time being. Um, those have always been kind of decent markets for us as well. So, um, yeah, just kind of plugging our way through it, yeah, <laughs> going that, and finding people. That is so interesting. You're, you're the first person, the, the first guest of the show to, to, to kind of key in on the fact that each, each state is doing its own thing. And so of course y- you would target the places that are open and are, and have been less restrictive perhaps from, from the get go and also are, are more lenient, uh, or, or, um, faster moving in reopening for better or worse from a public health standpoint, but for better from your personal economic standpoint. Yeah. Uh, how yeah. Very insightful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like people are really excited to get gym goers are very excited to get back in, you know, for the most part, get back in the gym, I think, um, at least from that community perspective. So um, kind of aligning ourselves with, with getting back in a good way is, you know, has, has seen some promise. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that totally makes sense. So we've seen a, a, a 60% uh, drop at ballpark. Is it, would, would that be fair to say? Yeah. About, yeah. I'm looking at like 63%. Yeah. 63%. Okay. Yeah. So um, I, I think that we painted a pretty good picture of exactly how COVID has hit your, your, the, the demand side of your business. Have you had any issues from a supply side in terms of production? Um, yes, that has gone a lot slower. <laughs> um, so we're actually kind of shopping around for a, a new partner there. And that, that, uh, that's been slow a little bit, I think just from like probably manpower. I don't know. Um, it's again, it's different in every state, but yeah, that's been a little bit tough. Yeah. And gosh, what a time to try to find a new we call them, do you call it a co-packer? Oh, yeah. Or a co-man or a co- yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that, that's something that, that ordinarily takes, gosh, in my world, six to 12 months probably to find yeah. the, and, and to do the, the test bake or the, you know, the, the, the first initial small production run, it can be really, really difficult for a small company to find the right partner because there are just so many boxes that need to be checked specifically. So, you know, for, for you need someone who can produce at your size at a price that makes sense and has the certifications that you need. Right. right. And, and those three things are like no small feat to align like by themselves. They're, they're, it's hard to find. Because it's a problem that Google can't really solve because they are, for whatever reason, like they're, they're these, these co-packers, these co-manufacturers, the ones who you've, who as a consumer, you will have never heard of, but are, are manufacturing, you know, for, I don't know, for GNC or, or, or Vega or whatever, like people don't 
most brands don't own their own manufacturing facilities. And that's, I feel like that's, that's maybe kind of a, a little known fact in the, for people, for just like the, the average consumer. And so it's really, really difficult to find that, that perfect co-packer. So I can only imagine what it's like for you right now, trying to shop during COVID where everyone is already backed up and those co-manufacturers are themselves having to adjust to all of the guidelines and social distancing rules that have been put into place. And, and I, I guess, I guess I, what I'm saying is I feel for you having to, <laughs> having to have this yet another issue uh, that, that you, that you're having to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you hit the nail on the head. It's the, you're a young company. You want to find companies with low minimums that will be reasonable with you. But in supplement world, you, 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 you have no choice, but you have to work with the manufacturers that are FDA regulated and can do NSF cert and all of these things. Um, so yeah, it's, it's like catch 22. It takes a lot of homework. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, having having those certifications is a really big deal because if you ever want to work with, you know, first of all the the Costco's, the Targets, the those those big ones, they're definitely going to need those audits. If you go to like the mom and pop gym down the street, are they going to ask you for your audit? Probably not. But you want to position yourself for growth, and the last thing you want is to start to hit like a little bit of an inflection point and then have to go find another co-packer all over again right yeah that's that's really true yeah so as we kind of move into the 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 last segment of the show uh the the post covid i i did want to touch really briefly on the ppp and how what your experience has been with it because uh well (laughs) there isn't much to it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but just just uh, as someone who started a company uh, about a year, year and a half ago, and then really went full time into it in February, um, obviously that that first year when you still had a full time job was spent doing was spent laying a lot of the groundwork, and by that I mean not uh, doing a lot of the sales yet. So you didn't have like a a huge, uh, you know, source of revenue coming in. So you weren't paying yourself. So with that background, what has been your experience with the PPP? Uh, non-existent. (laughs) (laughs) I, yeah, I, I like anybody when all that started coming out, I was, feverishly applying and talking to people and trying to get the right information. Um, the PPP does not, uh, I wasn't eligible. Um, I'm not on my own payroll and 1099s, uh, allegedly are not included, um, as, as full obviously as full-time payroll. So I wasn't eligible for that. Um, unfortunately, so little known fact, it's not, you know, not all small businesses are getting that big, that big bailout. <laughs> yeah, that's really tough. And and something that you and I had talked a little bit about before is how the government went on this big rush to get to it, to just infuse money as quickly as, as possible. I think that that is kind of the, the lesson that has been learned in the great depression. And then in the great recession 
is you need to infuse cash into the economy really, really quickly to stop the bleeding and stop things from just basically having a total collapse, which I would say was done pretty successfully. But when you move really quickly, you're you're gonna there's gonna be a bigger trade-off, right? Uh, in terms of the the quality of that cash infusion. And there are gonna be people who are gonna slip through the cracks. And it sounds like businesses that have been started over the course of the last year and don't really have a proven track record uh, were basically are, are going to be the ones who are going to be suffering the most there. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's the case. But um, eh, it's what it is. <laughs> it, it is what it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that that is a very glass half full way of looking at it. Um, although <laughs> you've obviously had a, a, lot, a lot of time to look at it. So. Yeah. 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 No, no, no time to dwell right now. So we talked a little bit about it, but moving forward, you're, you're looking to kind of make some of those wholesale partnerships with in, within the regions that are most quickly reopening. Uh, what else are you doing to, to adjust to this kind of uh, continued COVID landscape that we're finding ourselves in for probably a much longer period of time than we all had originally uh, hoped for or, or, or anticipated. Yeah. Um, one thing I started recently, which sounds like a no brainer, but I was anti for so long is really utilizing Amazon <laughs> um, and having, I mean, it's a full-time job. I have someone that helps me manage it. Um, it it's definitely not, like Shopify, where you can kind of just throw it up there. It's, it does take a lot of um, understanding and maneuvering. So, um, and I, I always, which I'm sure a lot of brands have followed, have kind of, you know, from a branding perspective, I don't like it, but it it is where everyone is right now. Um, and it can definitely move product. Um, you don't, own you don't necessarily know who your customer is on amazon which is challenging but um if you have product to move especially product that has a shelf life um it's definitely something to lean into right now so an obvious answer but that's something that i we weren't really focused on before but i'm kind of testing out now yeah i feel like we could we we could do a whole episode on (laughs) what it's like working with amazon and you know what your own personal feelings are as a consumer where you know do you want to continue to to uh to line to con- to contribute to Jeff Bezos's personal <laughs> personal wealth accumulation but at the end of the day it's like that's where consumers are you know that's that's where people spend their time that's where people people go to to buy things because all of their account information is there it's easy it's frictionless and it's like if you you can try to do the uh, direct sales off your own website, but really if you're not on Amazon, it's just the way that it is right now. You're leaving a lot of sales on the table. Yeah, and yeah, we've had uh, this doesn't normally happen this way, but I've had a few customers trickle over from Amazon into our subscription direct business. Mm-hmm. So if that continues to happen, that's great. Um, but. Yeah. And for supplements too, it's a huge category on Amazon. I can't deny that. Um, that's a fact. Even when I, when I search women's pre-workout on Amazon and the stuff I'm seeing come up, I'm like, okay, this is, we would 
we would stick out here as something new and different. So that's got to um, feel good. It does make a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Kind of. Hopefully. I mean, it's like a, a, a smidge of perhaps uh, confirmation bias there, but just again, knowing you being your own target demographic, looking at something and, and kind of being uh, aware of like almost like an out of body experience, watching yourself shop and go, oh, yes, I would notice my own product standing out. That's got to feel good because that means that you're doing something right from a branding standpoint. Yes. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, that does feel good. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So you're, you're geo-targeting places that are reopening faster than perhaps New York, which is sort of, a, one of the epicenters of this all. Um, although it sounds like things are getting a lot better on the ground in New York are things, you know, nowhere, perhaps in the world, is there a more densely populated on every block, some high end gym? Uh, but if those are all closed, then it's not really helping. Are those places starting to reopen in New York? Or is that like phase 17 that we can look forward to in, in 2025? Yeah, I so I used to, I don't know if I mentioned this, but I was working um, right around when I quit my full-time job, I had picked up like part-time, um, personal training group fitness, um, job, oh, which I'm certified in. At a, I know, right. It's like, I did all the things. <laughs> so you're like, okay, this will be my side income, which will help yep. fuel me through this growth process. And yeah. then COVID yep. happens and they're like, Hey, your full-time job is dead. And also you can go ahead and hit, hit the pause button on, on your side gig. Yeah. It, it's so weird to think about because when people, are like, oh, wow, you really timed it well, huh? I'm like, well, when I think about it, yes, the the fitness training was supposed to be like my living expenses. And then everything I'd saved, I was going to kind of like, you know, figure that out for the business. Um, and it was very little time, like, to contribute. Like, I was teaching classes at like seven in the morning, and then I have the rest of the day. So it was perfect. And I love doing it. Um, my full-time job, I don't know if I would still be there anyway at this point, which is kind of like a sad thing to say. I almost, I'm happy. I still don't regret leaving um, my full-time job, um, at least from like, I, I just, you know, it wasn't fulfilling me. I know that that's not the direction I wanted to stay in, but there's also kind of a relief that I got to make the choice in a way um, versus being, you know, unfortunately blindsided like some people in the media industry is kind of a crapshoot right now. Um, yeah. So there's that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was just reading about that this morning about uh, how uh, Facebook is only seeing a 5% growth in advertising sales and Google may actually see a decrease this year, which is like crazy for them because they've, uh, they've, Google has never experienced anything like that before. Uh, Poor Google. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I know. I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah, you're, you're, yeah. You're, there's no real pity party for Google and Facebook, but I guess I was using that I'm kind of. Uh, yeah, no, I was, I was using that kind of a, as a, as a barometer for the for the rest of the industry because if those two behemoths are struggling, then obviously everyone else in in sort of the the online digital media or uh, marketing set industries are going to seriously be struggling. Yeah, for sure. 
where are you finding the the your biggest source of hope moving forward in in the next i guess 6 months so the rest of 2020 where are you putting your time your effort and and kind of where what are you looking forward to what are you tying your your horse to basically moving forward these next these next 6 months i think the the wholesale stuff you know even though it was on pause for a while i do have some exciting conversations set up even if it's for a little further down the line um conversations i didn't think that i would be in <laughs> ever with some part potential partners so i guess that's that definitely um is exciting and when you say you 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 didn't think you would be in those conversations do you mean like you didn't think that you would as quickly as you are get in front of those big bigger brands is that what you mean yeah i think so that's exciting yeah more traditional bigger supplement retailers i guess was not where I thought, you know, but that's where the products are. <laughs> right. And being as small as we are, yeah, it's exciting to have at least those conversations and those doors start to open a little bit. You know, I always I always thought we would we would go like Equinox lifetime, like and then the boutique gyms that were like slightly under that. And then that, you know, we wouldn't try to do Whole Foods or GNC or anything like that. But my eyes have opened to that a little bit more, especially with what's happening to the, the fitness world. Um, so that's promising. And then just getting more a diversified like customer base on the direct side. Sometimes I don't even know where they're coming from, but that's the most exciting thing kind of is like <laughs> when you start to branch out, you're like, oh, I don't know all these people anymore. <laughs> this yes. It's kind of cool. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's so exciting when you start to have more and more people who aren't friends and family, who aren't, you know, <laughs> when you don't recognize names and people are just buying you for the sake of the, the quality and intrigue of your, of your product, it means that you're doing something right. And it, those are the types of like moral victories that I feel like can, can keep you going through a, a, a dark pandemic time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's exciting. Well, on that up note, uh, I think we're going to wrap things up here. And I, I, I am really excited, though, to hear to, to do our to do our next check in in a, in a few months down the road, because I just feel like you're doing so many things right. And you have this really high quality product that just seems poised to to disrupt and almost establish its own i wouldn't even say disrupt the market i would say like establish its own market because you have the, of the way that you're targeting targeting and, and just kind of positioning yourself thank you yeah i'm excited too and so <laughs> katie thanks thanks so much for coming on the show and yeah well, let's uh let's talk again soon awesome thanks for having me thank you to my guest katie webb of ayla if a delicious plant-based pre-workout supplement sounds right up your alley check out meetayla.com that's M-E-E-T-A-I-L-A dot com. Today's show was not brought to you by our unsponsor, Maya's Cookies, America's number one black-owned vegan cookie company. I recommend going with either the assortment called the Mother Load or sticking with my favorite, Chocolate Chip S'mores. If you know of a small business that you think deserves a shout-out, send it my way to smallbizgoneviral at gmail.com. If you have a small business owner who has a good story to tell and is a good storyteller, send suggestions to smallbizgoneviral at gmail.com. If you have a friend who has a small business owner and has struggled through COVID, share this podcast with them. Even if they don't listen to it, they'll at least know someone cares about them. 
If you like this podcast, like, subscribe, and write a review wherever you are listening to this, and follow on Instagram at smallbizgoneviral. If you're not into those options, just try to do something today nice for a small business. Thank you to Peggy Bunker and the Bunkmates for use of their song Geronimo. All of my facts and figures come from the Department of Labor, Bureau of Labor Statistics, and Worldometer.com. Someday this will all be over and we can go back to normal. Until then, stay safe, wear a freaking mask, socially distance, and as always, even when this is over, shop small and shop local. From a windowless office in North Pacific Beach, I'm Grant LeBeau, and this is Small Biz Gone Viral. Small Biz Gone Viral.